This is Fresh Air. I'm Dave Davies. As you may know, comic Mark Maron interviewed President Obama Friday for Maron's podcast, WTF. Terry's on vacation this week, but the last thing she did before checking out Friday was to talk to Maron about the interview. The Obama edition of his podcast went up early this morning. Here's Terry. When I found out that Mark Maron was going to interview President Obama for Maron's podcast, I thought, what? Mark is a comic. He has a TV series called Marin, in which he plays a version of himself who's self-absorbed, difficult to get along with, and has serious anger management problems. Mark's podcast is called WTF, and he kind of spells out what that stands for at the beginning of each podcast. Does that sound like the typical place for a presidential interview? And speaking of place, Mark records his interviews in his garage, and the president agreed to show up there. Mark is a great interviewer, and I can say that as a fan and as one of his recent interviewees. But he does very personal interviews, not the kind of interviews presidents typically agree to. Needless to say, I wanted to know how this happened and what the experience was like for Mark Marin. So a couple of hours after his interview with President Obama concluded, I recorded this interview with Mark Marin. Mark, it's great to talk with you again. So you just kind of eased into the interview. It didn't, like, officially start at any point. You started talking as as you were sitting down in your chairs. And I thought that was just, like, a really <laughs> nice, sweet moment. I just want to play that. So I'll bet you got, like, snipers on your roof and stuff. There's snipers over there, and uh, <laughs> there's one on the roof. And I'm gonna, you can sit in the orange chair. Am I in the orange chair? Orange yeah. chair for you, Mr. President. Who's staying in the room? We're doing pictures. Oh my gosh. This is pretty cool. This is the place. This is where it happens. I like this, man. You do? I do. It's my whole life. You're Everything. Like, but you're like you're, you're like a big cheese now, man. You can't pretend like you're just some What do you mean? Can I go on pretending? You can't pretend like you're some well, then, little guy should, in the garage. Should you're I move? Not, you're not big time. <laughs> okay, so that's <laughs> President Obama in your garage doing your podcast with a sniper on your roof? There was a sniper on the roof next door. I don't. I think that we decided it would be too noisy uh, to have a sniper on the garage roof walking around. Though he, from what I'm told by my producer, uh, he he had such a good uh, you know parameter up. He had he had good sight lines on top of the garage. But they they found that on my neighbor Dennis's roof they were fine. So I I believe there were two snipers over there. There was a bunch of LAPD on the periphery down uh, at the bottom of the hill that I live on. There was some LAPD on my other neighbor on the other sides on their uh, deck. And then there were Secret Service people all over the place. Um, And that's that's how it went. And there was a Secret Service guy behind me during the interview who I didn't see at all. I was so uh, intent on focusing on on the president. Your neighbors must love you. <laughs> well, you know, I, I felt bad at, at first, you, you know, and I apologize to people because they closed off the entire neighborhood. They closed off my street and a lot of the streets for the entire route, though he did fly from Santa Monica to Pasadena in a helicopter and then picked up the motorcade there as opposed to shut down the entire city. It was sort of a problem. And I, I that was one of the things entering this interview is I, I felt bad about causing people trouble traffic-wise in my neighborhood. Uh, it was it was plaguing me a little bit. And then I'm talking to, to the president and, and the load that he carries mentally and emotionally on a day-to-day basis and what he has to compartmentalize, I, I sort of found strength in that. I'm like, all right, you know what? I'm going to have to let go of the idea 
that my neighbors are upset with me because quite honestly, they were thrilled. And by the time it became very public, my street was lined with people with signs welcoming the president. And I think they were a little disappointed that it wasn't a public event, but they were still excited to see the, the, the motorcade. So, so, Mark, how did this happen? How did President Obama end up in your garage recording an interview for your podcast? I, I, I know it's crazy. Uh, what, what happened was months ago, you know, quite a few months ago, they, the White House reached out with an idea. Yeah, yeah, there was a fan uh, among in his staff of, of my show and thought it would be a fun idea, an idea that the president would do my show. And that was shared with my producer, Brendan. And he said to me that the, the, the White House called. I'm like, all right, well, that's that's fine. But the, come on. What's what? He's not going to do my show. And I just didn't think of that it would ever happen. I, I would never think to to necessarily try to get the president on the show. I don't I don't really do a political show anymore. And I wouldn't think the president would necessarily want to do my podcast. But I just never thought about it. And then all of a sudden, here it was. And and I was like, well, it's not going to happen. And then it, as months went by, it was, clearly it was like, well, they called again, and, and it's going to happen probably. And I'm like, well, what do I do? What do I go to the Washington? Do, am I do I go to his hotel? What happens? And and my and Brendan says, well, they said they want to do it at the garage. I'm like, that's insane. So you're telling <laughs> the the president's just going to come over to my house, my two bedroom, one bathroom house, and sit in my broken down garage, but where everybody sits, it is it is the place where it happens. But I just couldn't even wrap my brain around it. He, I, I'm assuming the president knows that the title of your podcast is WTF and mm-hmm. th- that you say all the words that that stands for at the beginning of every podcast. That would scare away most presidents. You know, I, out of respect and I think out of, uh, you know, uh, we, I didn't, I, I'm foregoing that at the beginning of this episode. And, I, and while I was with the president, I was happy. I'm happy to report that I did not uh, drop any F-bombs or, or, or say any bad words. Uh, uh, which is amazing for me, really. But I, I think innately I know when, when, uh, when that's appropriate. I want to play another moment that shows how you handled the interview. You know, President Obama was talking about um, how when you're the president, you have to kind of come to terms with the fact that you can't make big changes. You can't have everything that you want and have the bill, you know, completely happen the way you want to. You have to be happy with shifts and with the feeling that you're moving things in the right direction. And then you basically say this. I don't know how you deal from day to day. I was panicking all morning. You know, I, I don't imagine you were flying in here on the chopper thinking like, you know, I, I am nervous about Mark. No, I wasn't. Okay. Well, that's good. That yeah. makes <laughs> That would be a problem. It would be a problem. If the president was feeling stressed about <laughs> coming to my garage. Coming to your garage. But you deal with that stuff for all a the, podcast. All the time. I mean, like, you know, what you're saying is this incremental progress, but yeah. I mean you had a Congress that was, you know, you know, dead set on not giving yeah. you anything. Right. And and then, you know, the the then it got to a point where they, they really even if they wanted to work with you, they couldn't because their constituents had, That's had, exactly right. had they got their were, constituencies all stirred up. They thought you were yeah. Satan. Right. And and so you had that obstacle, right? And then you're, you're coming into uh, you know a country that was depleted, and I right. just it, it it's fascinating to me that you were able to maintain this hope. And now, again on Monday, when this posts, right. the Supreme Court's going to make a decision, right? About your you, about the bill, the healthcare bill. I mean, yeah. that's a huge thing. This is a a, a slightly very crazy case. Yes, shouldn't that, should, shouldn't have been taken in my view. But but it could dismantle your 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 your, your big thing. The thing that you gave everybody. That's Mark Marin with President Obama. I thought you did such a nice job of having 
um, like comedic touches in the interview, but getting to serious things with him. Yeah, I was worried about that. You, you know, I, I, I probably could have got a few more laughs, but but it just wasn't it was not the focus of my interview. Uh, was to make the president laugh. I think I got a couple of good ones, and and I think I engaged him well. I felt uh, I know there were a couple of moments where we had real connection, but but whether or not he felt that, I don't know. But I felt it, and and that was very exciting for me that that I could see him as a person. It, it did not during the entire interview. Once we got started. Uh, I was never like, oh, my God, it's the president of the United States. What's he doing here? It was like, this is a guy I'm talking to, which is all I really hope for. I don't know if you can hear that, but but that's how I felt. Did you have to worry about, like, what am I going to wear in meeting the president? I always wear, like, no, a, plaid a plaid shirt, shirt or something. You wore your plaid shirt. <laughs> I did, yeah. I just wore a plaid shirt. What am I going to put a tie on? The The amazing thing is, is I drive myself crazy. I was actually panicked that we would run out of things to talk about. See, that's how crazy I am. I'm like, well, I, I got these first few questions and these areas that I want to talk about. But what if we're 10 minutes in and uh, I got nothing? I got nothing else. You know, with that guy. What are you kidding me? You know, how is it you know, like? I just don't know. My big fear was, am I going to be able to engage, you know, honestly and in a real way with with the president of the United States? And, like, you hear it in that clip you played earlier. Right when he gets there, you know, he puts me at ease. Well, here's, he an, here's another another, another example of that. You were talking to him about how when he was in college, he lived a couple of blocks away from where you live now, or from where the garage is, where you do your podcast. Yeah. And so you got him talking about that and, uh, you know, what it was like for him to be a couple of blocks away from where he went to college. And here's here's how that played out. I want to, you know, before, like, I, I feel like we jumped right in the conversation, we which did. is good. It was quick. And uh, I am uh, I'm honored that you came. And, uh, and, and uh, it's, a, it's an amazing uh, privilege for me to talk to you. Listen, I, the, I'm a big fan. And, uh, you know, I, I love conversations like this because you know, if, if I thought to myself that uh, when I was in college that I'd be in a garage. Yeah. A couple miles away from where I was living, yeah, doing an interview as with, president, as president <laughs> with a comedian. <laughs> I think that's a pretty hard scenario to. Uh, couldn't imagine it. It's not possible to imagine. No, I think it's hysterical. He's talking about how he couldn't imagine it. <laughs> yeah, I think you're the one who probably couldn't imagine it. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, he's he's like yeah, he's pretty amazing. Um. He's a pretty amazing person in terms of it, it's it's always interesting when you meet uh, people who who have a, a, a sort of personal power or, or magic, you know, of any kind. It's a rare thing, you know, when when because you, you read about the president or you see people's reactions to the president or you have whatever your feelings are about the president on a day to day basis. Like, you know, oh, there's the president again or what you take certain things for granted. But to, to really sort of, you know be in the presence of somebody who is the president and has been for eight years and, and to wonder what, what is that gift? How does just a person do that? And to feel the incredible sort of charisma and ease at which this guy handles himself. And, and, and I'm completely honest with you, you know, I was a a bit of a, a nervous wreck and, and he immediately you know put me at ease. I don't know how I'm not easy to put at ease. You know, I'm a nutbag. I'm crazy, you know, a, a little bit. And and I I felt like, I, thank God, you know, he did that so I could have a, 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 a good conversation with him, you know.
my house is a mess. I can't imagine having the president over to my house. Not that, mm. not, not that he's interested in coming. But what did you have to do? I know about do? your house. Yes, <laughs> I know about your house, Terry. I know about the records. <laughs> the records, the vinyl. Mm-hmm. What did you have to do to get your garage in order, to, so that you thought it was fit for President Obama? Well, I had I have a lot of clutter on the desk, and this, and the Secret Service cer- certainly helped me with that. <laughs> they came in. <laughs> yeah, I've right. like. <laughs> I have like a, I have I have a pocket knife on my desk. I I have a, like half a hammer, like this weird hammer that's broken. That oh, I the just pocket knife tr- was just in an episode of your show, right? It, it, I think it might have been that knife. But they, like, and apparently when Brendan was walking them through when I was out of town, they're like, they had a knife and the hammer, got to go. Yeah. So <laughs> they. Those got to go. And there was a lot of boxes of clutter on the floor, stacks of books, a lot of, I imagine, what your house looks like. And uh, and it, we had to move them out. And it was really interesting because apparently it was about, we don't want anything that he can trip over. And we don't want any the obstacles in the way. We had to clear out the entire driveway of everything and clear out anything in the pathway of the president's uh, walk. So they helped out a lot with that. You know, my amp had to go. The guitars had to go. We had to declutter the garage. But it was, you know, everything was still intact. It was just the stuff that was sort of loosened on the floor and the stuff that could be uh, you, you construed as dangerous on the desk that had to go. And it, and it looked pretty clean. You and I are the same, I think, and not wanting to have anyone in the studio or the garage in your case beyond the person who we're interviewing. And and like for me, it's because like I don't want my guest picking up on anyone else's vibe. I just want them in their own head responding to what we're talking about. And I don't want to be picking up on the vibe of their their publicist or their manager or their spouse or anyone else. You know, I don't want to be thinking like what's this third party thinking about my questions. So um, when the Secret Service person had to be in the garage with you, and you wanted to get rid of basically everybody except for one Secret Service person. How did you tell them that they had to leave? <laughs> well, I think it was an understanding. You know, I don't... I was happy there weren't more people in because there was some talk that maybe a staffer would be in or that two Secret Service would be in. And also, it's interesting because I, I might have learned something interviewing you in a public way uh, that we did our conversation in front of people that there is a way to focus, uh, despite the fact that there were at least six people on my deck next to the garage with headphones on listening to the interview. And, and one of them was archiving it for the White House. And one of them was a staffer. One of them was Brendan, my producer. And then there was other people uh, who were out there. So and, you know, and there were Secret Service all over the place. And Secret Service are pretty good at being invisible. So I didn't, I didn't even feel that guy's presence. And also there is something inside of you. And it was something that the president actually spoke to around you know, doing something enough. Uh, that where I wanted just to make sure that all I was focused on and listening to and, and seeing was him. And, and that happened. Even, I think, at another point in my life, I would have made myself crazy knowing there was five people listening to it and that there was a guy standing behind me and that my windows had to be taped up and there was a sniper on there. Wait, wait, your windows just, had to be taped up? Well, yeah, I had, we, that was the one, <laughs> the, the one thing that, that they left to me and Brendan for some reason is that they got a sniper or two on the, on the roof next to next to us, but there were still sight lines. There's a window that goes right out to to my neighbor's yard, and then there's one that goes right out to my backyard. And the Secret Services, uh, they said that yeah, you gotta 
You got to put some garbage bags on those. You got to tape some garbage bags. So the day before the interview, I was up on a ladder because the back part of my garage is about 20 feet up and up on the roof of my garage, duct taping garbage bags to my windows uh, so the president uh, wouldn't be in the sight line of any potential snipers while in my garage. So it was a hands-on thing for me. I was, it was, I was very active in that. So we had talked about this once before. Like, what happens when the interview's over? Like, you talked about this in the I comment. cried. Did you really? Yeah, a little bit, right in front of Brendan. It was, it was a weird moment for us. But he, he handled it pretty well. <laughs> like, 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 they all left, and the Secret Service was still getting their, their stuff together. And I'm walking out of the garage, and I was just like, oh, God. And I just like, started crying a little bit. And I was, like, hiding it from Brendan. I was, I was like, because he was just, just standing in front of me talking to me. And I was, like, holding my eyes. And I was just like, I, my voice was cracking. He's like, what are you just, like... He's just letting it out. And I'm like, yeah, man, I just, I'm just, I don't know what it is. I'm just overwhelmed with emotion. Uh, so, I, you know, I pulled it together pretty quickly. Uh, but, but yeah, I felt that. And then I felt like, and then I was like, was it all right? Was it all right? Did we, did we do it? Did it happen? Did it, was it okay? You know, cause I don't, I, this is why it's hard. Cause I don't know, you know, sometimes, you know, I know this is the president, but he is, you know, our, you know the best of the politicians. These are politicians. I don't. I don't know. Sometimes, you know, what I got, and if if it hasn't been said before, or if I got you know steamrolled sometime somehow, or I I got sort of taken off track. I don't know any of that stuff, and I just didn't want to second guess it. But he said it was great, and 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 I think it, it felt great to me. And and I just have to I have to learn how to to sort of do what the president does and kind of <laughs> just let it be its thing now, and 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 be okay with it. That's comedian Mark Maron speaking with Terry Gross last Friday after Maron had interviewed President Obama for his podcast, WTF. Here's another excerpt from that interview. You've gotten an amazing amount of stuff done. And, and uh, in, in, in a time in the last year, you got some big stuff done yeah. where people didn't think you were getting anything right. done. And now uh, this, this horrible thing happens Wednesday. And, and you know you have uh, you know, these police actions in Baltimore and Ferguson. I mean, right. where... You know, coming from where you came from right. and, and, you know, trying to define yourself in terms of uh, the African-American community right. and, and, and in terms of uh, racial relations. Where, where, where are we with that in yeah. terms of when you came in, in your mind? Well, for, first of all, I, I always tell young people in particular, uh, do not say that nothing's changed when it comes to race in America <laughs> unless you live through being a black man in the 1950s mm -hmm. or 60s mm -hmm. or 70s. Mm -hmm. uh, it is incontrovertible that race relations have improved significantly during my lifetime and yours mm -hmm. and that opportunities have opened up and that attitudes have changed. Yeah. That, that is a fact. Right. What is also true is that the legacy of slavery, Jim Crow, discrimination in almost every institution of our lives, you know, that casts a long shadow. And that's still part of our DNA. That's, that's passed on. Uh, it, we're not cured of it. Racism. Racism. We are not cured of. Clearly. Uh, and, and, and it's not just a matter of, uh, it not being polite to say nigger in public, that's not the measure of whether racism still exists or not. 
It's not just a matter of overt discrimination. We have to, societies don't overnight completely erase everything that happened two to three hundred years prior. And so, so what I tried to describe in, in the Selma speech uh, that I gave, commemorating the yeah. march there, was again a notion that progress is real mm-hmm. and we have to take hope from that progress but what is also real is that the march isn't over and the work is not yet completed so you know how you said that you were in tears when it was when it was over mm-hmm. um, this is something like I, I i know you've teared up in other interviews too it's happening a lot lately so um here's something i i really want to understand about you how is it that the mark Marin that you portray on your ifc tv series Marin is a guy who's really aggravating do you know what i mean he's 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 kind of abrupt to people he has real like anger management issues he's very kind of self-centered very much in his own head not a lot of empathy or sympathy for other people but the Marin who I hear on your podcast, the Marin who I met when you interviewed me, is this really empathetic person who is capable of tearing up and who seems just exceptionally interested in what the people who you're talking to have to say. You seem to really want to know about them. So why is the persona that you have on TV so like radically different from the person who you are on the podcast? Which isn't to say that, I mean, you're both, you're very funny in both settings. So, like, that's definitely a commonality. But why? I I, I think that was an older version of me. And I I think that having not known, um, you know, really how to go about, you know, creating a persona of myself on television, that that, that sort of seemed to be how it evolved. And, and, And I was... Obviously, you know, 100 percent part of that. And it really became, especially this season, where we see this this sort of full, the well-rounded comic character of that Mark Maron. uh, I I think it's it's sort of representational of me, you know, probably a decade ago. Um, And and because I needed to find something organic within my personality that, that that could live on that screen. But also to be funny, I think it's a little easier to write for that guy, uh, uh, to to be funny and to be sort of a, a bit more of a victim of himself. Uh, it, but I, I think that is an an, an old, an old, un, uh, uh, less evolved uh, Mark Maron, a less you know humbled by time, and 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 also uh, a Mark Maron with with less self esteem. Uh, that 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 came through validation of of doing the work that I've been doing. Yeah, I I don't know. I I, I don't know how it it really serves me in the in the in the big picture, other than to be a, a comedic character and to try to explore, you know, the way that I made mistakes. And and people seem to like it for that reason. But there is a difference. I don't think he's fundamentally not me, but I do think he's a a, a more immature uh, uh, me and and somebody who is not as onto his psychological and emotional issues as I, I have become in, in more recent years. So, you know, I, I watch your TV series 
And um, I think my favorite episode of the season so far is the one where you interview your ex-wife because she has a new book that's out. <laughs> so, yeah. like, you and your producer, uh, you and your intern, I should say, debate whether to have her on or not. And you decide, okay, like, let, let's do it. And um, what's the closest you've come to interviewing somebody who you were not only that close to it that's at some point, but you also had such a kind of drama with, like a personal drama that had to get played out? And ex-wife, that's a pretty big deal to do an interview <laughs> with her. I'm sure that She would probably... never talk to me. Who, who? She would never do it. My ex-wife would never do it. The, the ex-wife that that was based on. And oddly, mm-hmm. you, you know, I worked through a lot of emotional... Um, pain in that episode that that that's a conversation that never happened that the ex-wife that that is based on will not engage with me at all and that's fine but you know I haven't seen her at all you know in seven or eight years and I think I had some things in my heart that were still you, you, I, I wanted forgiveness and, and I don't know that I'll ever get it from her but I think by by building that episode and and actually having that conversation in a fictional way uh, really gave me some closure. Um, but like, I don't know what I would do if I saw my real ex-wife. Even on the street, I think I would just fall apart. Well, you know, your your character, the Mark Maron that you portray in your TV series, has to decide whether he's going to honor his ex-wife's wishes to take out a part of the conversation because it's just too personal and too hurtful. And so, like your character has to really puzzle through what's he going to go for, like the best radio, like the most dramatic radio, or to be the most human about it and not humiliate your ex-wife in the podcast. And it's a hard choice for him. Have you gone through that yourself, that trade-off between... Were, were there times and, that you talked about other people, people in ways that you knew would hurt them, but you decided... But it's going to be funny, or, yes. or it's going to get applause. I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I don't know about applause, but I thought it would be funny. Yeah. And I do it, and I did it, and then you know I would hurt people, and then people would be uh, afraid of me, and then I, I would have to have those conversations with the, with the wives and girlfriends, like, all right, I won't do it, I won't do it, I won't do it. Have your and values changed about that? Yes, but like sometimes it was weird. Sometimes I do them at like I do it at like like poorly attended shows. Like I'd be like, <laughs> all right, so this stays. <laughs> This stays in the room, <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> but uh, my values have changed because a, a woman that I was with at a different time uh, made it very clear to me that when you do that, they they have no recourse. That you know that's your side of it, and it may not be right. It may be what you think happened. It may be your your point of view, and it may be your opinion. But it it, it is not my experience, and I don't get to say my experience. So, and that's, that's hurtful and it's also unfair. So that added something to how I process that stuff now. So, um, I want to get back to the Obama interview for a minute. Mm -hmm. You've said, and I started to ask you this before, you you said in your interview with Conan O'Brien a long time ago. So what happens when the interview ends? Do you like have a cup of coffee together? Do you go out, you know, have a sandwich? Do you hang it and schmooze a little bit more in your garage? Do you invite them into your actual house? So when the interview was over with President Obama, was that like it? Did it like when you when the when the recording was turned off, was it was it over? Did you schmooze some more afterwards and talk about the interview, reminisce about how it went, ask him other yeah. other questions? Yeah. 
Yeah, no, he, he, he was like, he, he was very concerned about how it went for me. And I said, I think it went great. And I go, how'd it go for you? He goes, it was good. It was good. And, and, and he said it was a little intense at the start. And, and, uh, and then we went outside and he took pictures with me and he took pictures with, um, my producer Brendan, he, and we did a selfie, and then uh, and then one of his uh, one of his staff brought a book, a children's book uh, from a uh, apparently a, a little kid was uh, next door or across the street and wanted him to sign it, and he signed that. And I said, "So what happens now?" And you know, and I, I got my uh, arm on his on his back. Where were you going? I don't know. I, I felt like I was touching him for a long time, and then um, <laughs> and then. Uh, and he said, "Well, I gotta, I gotta get the plane. I'm going up to San Francisco to do a fundraiser." And um, then all of a sudden, a crew of people came and they started disassembling the tents uh, that were on my driveway. And and then all the Secret Service stuff got their stuff, and and they just like were gone. It was all gone. And I let my cats out of the bedroom. And oh. they were like, "What's up? Are we good?" And I'm like, <laughs> "How you doing?" And they're like, "Okay, is everyone gone? Can we have our house back, please?" Uh, and and uh, you know, and then now it's back to life. So um, I'd like to end with uh, another part of the interview that you recorded with the president. And um, uh, this is a part where you, you were you said um, something like, "So when Michelle says to you, okay, that's enough,' what's she talking about?" And he started talking about, you know, their relationship and when they were dating and about how she'd be really angry with him when he'd show up 15 minutes late, which he often would. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just going to pick it up from there because it's just a really, really nice story. You know, like when she goes, like if Michelle says, uh, would you stop that, please? What is she talking about? Uh, (laughs) To you. Well, I mean, they're being late. Yeah. do you do you isolate like I for some reason I see you as a guy that's sort of like in your head and just sort of like you know will just detach a little bit. No, no, no. I'm I'm very engaged. That that's not she 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 will say stop that in the when we first started dating. Yeah. And I'd, I'd always give myself kind of a fifteen minute leeway, right? <laughs> right in terms of showing up, okay, and and getting the stuff, and uh, partly because Michelle's. Dad had multiple sclerosis. Mm. It was really interesting. I, I used to say, well, you know, why, why are you stressing me about, you know, being late? Yeah. I mean, I'm just 15 minutes late, 10 minutes late. What's, right. what's the big deal? And then I don't remember how long we were in the relationship when she described how her dad had to wake up an hour earlier than everybody else because he had multiple sclerosis just to put on his shirt and button his own shirt was a big task. Right. And if he want if the family wanted to go see Michelle's brother play basketball, mm-hmm. this is before the ADA, the American Disabilities mm-hmm. Act, you know, uh they'd have to get there early mm-hmm. so that her dad on crutches could hobble his way up the stairs to their seat. And that mentality of not wanting to stand out and not wanting to, you know, miss something mm. had instilled in her. So it was a very emotional thing. It was loaded. Right? It wasn't it was, just right. about being late. It wasn't late. just about being late. 
Well, Mark, I really thought you did a terrific job with the president. It's it's just oh, it's, it's got some funny moments. It's got some really sweet moments. It's got some very interesting moments about his life as president and about the kinds of decisions he has to make about the political divisions in 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 America, about racial issues. You really cover a lot of stuff. I just found it very like totally engrossing. So, congratulations. Thank you, Terry. That means a lot to me. That's comedian Mark Maron speaking with Terry Gross last Friday after Maron had interviewed President Obama for his podcast, WTF. Special thanks to WTF producer Brendan McDonald for his help.